All right, good morning, everyone. Go ahead and I uh, invite you to turn to John chapter 15. We're going to be taking a look at uh, a portion of scripture from when Jesus was talking to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, the final bit of time that Jesus got to spend with them before he would be brought to trial and crucified the next day. Uh, and before we go to our God, let's, um, in Scripture, let's go to God in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we pray now that as we turn to your word, that you would give us understanding, O oh God, that you would help the Scripture to come alive to us, that you would teach us from your word, that you would lead us. And God, I pray that as we reflect over 2023, you would help our hearts just to be filled with gratitude for all that you have done in our lives, for the many ways that you have, have moved Lord, even as we come before you with, with requests, uh, with needs, oh God, uh, we want to do so with gratitude. We want to do so with thankful hearts for all that you've done for us, for the many ways that you have blessed us. And I pray, Lord, now that as we look ahead to 2024, that you would help our hearts and our minds and our eyes to be set on you. Lord, keep our focus on you. And may we grow in faith May we grow in trust. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So New Year's resolutions. It's the end of 23, and I'm sure that many of us are thinking about our lives. Taking time to reflect seems to be the common thing that people do at the end of the year as they think ahead to 2024. And I'm sure that as you look back over 2023, there's things that maybe you wish you had done differently. There are perhaps regrets you have or things that you had wished you had started projects that you've been putting on the back burner for a long time that you wish you had done. And yet, oftentimes in our lives, as we think about these areas of our life where perhaps we would wish we did something different, uh, oftentimes we struggle to make those changes into our lives. And so year goes by, year after year, and things don't seem to change. And I heard a pastor one time say, uh, who did a lot of visitation for people who were at death's door when they were sick and dying in the hospital, and he would visit. And he said that one of the things that people never said when they were on their deathbed was, boy, I wish I had worked more. Pretty much everybody he ever talked to, their main regret at the end of life was that they hadn't spent more time with family. So I know most of us probably have that same hope that our lives could be less busy and less frenetic and that we could spend less time obsessed with work and career. And yet it seems to be the case that year after year goes by where we find ourselves at the mercy of forces that are largely out of our control. And we want to make these changes, but it feels at times like we're not able to do that. We wish that we would drink less, perhaps, but we find ourselves drinking more, perhaps overdoing it more so than we would want to. Perhaps you had an aspiration to learn a new language, but you never got around to doing it. Perhaps you're a parent and you have a desire to be less angry at home, to get less frustrated with your kids, and yet you still find yourselves in the situation of perhaps talking in ways that you wish you wouldn't. My wife and I were in a tremendously busy season in our life, and so as we went into the new year, we sat down and we made a resolution that we were going to have a year that we were less busy and simplify things. And we were about this successful in doing so. So my hope that 
as we come into 2024 and uh, as you hear the message today is that you would be encouraged to, to recognize that actually real change is possible. We're going to be looking at John 15 to, to show what Jesus has to say on the matter. But I also want us to realize that sometimes it's not the big things in life that we need to focus on, but it's the little things. And at the end of the message today, I'm going to give us about two to three minutes of quiet, and that will be a time for you to prayerfully reflect on what you heard, what you're hearing right now, and also what the Spirit might be speaking into your life about what 2024 ought to look like. We're going to be looking at John chapter 15, and John chapter 15 comes uh, as part of the upper room discourse that is at the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry with his disciples. Uh, imagine with me now that Jesus has spent three years walking with his disciples, training them, teaching them, coaching them. He's poured his life into these disciples, but he knows that the very next day that he's going to be taken away from them. Uh, on the third day, Jesus will arise. He will resurrect. But soon after that, Jesus is going to go to be with his Father in heaven, and so he will leave his disciples alone. So the, the final chapters of, of John, from John chapter 13 through chapter 17, are... Jesus is, you know, think about a coach who's is game time and he's, he's talking with his, his team and he wants to give them the most encouraging thing that he could possibly say, the most important thing for him to pass on to them because he knows that starting tomorrow, right, they're not going to have Jesus physically with them. And so uh, at the beginning of chapter 13, we're told it was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that his time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, having loved his own who were in in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So the passage we're going to read today, John chapter 15, is part of Jesus' farewell speech. The final important words that he wants to uh, leave his disciples with before he departs from them. So take a look with me at John chapter 15. We'll read verses 1 through 17. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the, the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So I'm going to share with us, as you're thinking about New Year's resolutions, three, um, three points about how you can be thinking about what 2024 ought to look like for your life. As we're going through this passage, um, and I'm sure you notice there's a couple words that pop up over and over again. And one of the, the first words that comes to mind is that word fruit. And so I believe that as we're headed into 2024 this year, that God wants to impress upon our hearts the value and the importance of fruitfulness. Uh, if you look at verse 2, it says, The Father prunes every branch in me so that it will be even more fruitful. And then in verse 8, if you look down at verse 8, it says, The bearing of much fruit reveals that we are Jesus' disciples. So Jesus, as he's talking with his disciples, remember, he's preparing to leave. He's not going to be with them for much longer. But as Jesus looks at the 12, uh, he envisions, you know, and hopes for what kind of lives that they'll live. And Jesus' hope for them is that their lives would be exceedingly, abundantly fruitful. And if Jesus was talking about that with his disciples, who he knew were not going to have him with them in, the, in person, then the same thing applies to us as well, that Jesus' hope for our lives is that our lives would be exceedingly fruitful, that, that our lives would bear fruit. And so right away here, I, I want to challenge our thinking about New Year's goals and New Year's resolutions because right away we're seeing that the emphasis for, with Christ, the emphasis with Jesus is not on something else that a lot of us are very preoccupied with, and that is success, right? A lot of us give our lives towards being successful, and we have goals about being successful, but the astonishing thing is that that word success is not used in the New Testament a single time. So how, how crazy is it that, that we in our flesh, right, we give ourselves towards this idea of success when that is a category that, I wouldn't say God doesn't care about success at all, but it's very clear in the New Testament that, that the, the, the primary thing that God really cares about is not success, but fruitfulness. And so what's the difference there? What's the difference between success and fruitfulness? Well, the interesting thing is that you could be very successful by the world's standards and yield absolutely no fruit in your life. But the flip is true as well, that, that you could, if somebody in the world were to look at you, they might say, well, this person doesn't look very successful, but you could be exceedingly fruitful. So there's a very big difference between fruitfulness and success. Success is often measured by things that we can see, but fruitfulness according to Scripture, is measured by the quality of our lives. Fruitfulness is about your character. Fruitfulness is about the kind of person that you are becoming. Right? Fruitfulness, I would define it simply as the stuff that shows up in your life as a result of abiding in Jesus. So we are preoccupied with success, but God says, don't, don't worry so much about success. Don't worry so much about what the world thinks about you when they look at your life, what conclusions they might come to, but rather focus on abiding in me, focus on knowing me, seeking me, being filled with my spirit, and then watch as my spirit works in your heart 
to develop you into a certain kind of person. Now, this isn't separate from works because, right, if our nature is changed and if we're abiding in Christ and the Spirit is at work within our lives, that will certainly produce works. That will produce actions that are in keeping with the way God has regenerated us. But the emphasis, my friends, is not so much on what you do and not so much on what you accomplish so much as it is on the kind of person that God is shaping and forming you to be through the gospel and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So then, what would a New Year's resolution look like where you're not focused on numbers, you're not focused on size, you're not focused on salary, but you're focused instead on allowing God to be at work in you to create within you a certain type of character. And if we look in Scripture and we we think about fruitfulness— Um, immediately I'm sure what comes to mind for many people would be the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. You don't need to turn there now, but um, maybe later you can take a look at it. I'll just read these for you. Um, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So the fruitfulness is the kind of person we're becoming, the character we have, which will be reflected in how we impact other people. How do other people experience you? What do people receive from you? Right? When somebody encounters you at home, at work, right, what is their experience of you? And is that spiritual fruit, what God is working in you, rubbing off on them? Is it impacting them in a positive way? way. And so as we're thinking about our New Year's resolutions, I wonder if we could ask God to help us have a goal and a desire that was not so much outward, but was more internal, more inward, the type of person that God is creating us to be. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, as we're thinking about New Year's resolutions, that we would move away from achievement goals towards process goals. And I'm going to explain more about that, uh, more what I mean about that. Take a look again with me with verses four and five. It says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot, cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, I'm convinced that one of the reasons we often end up discouraged when it comes to New Year's resolutions is because we create these unattainable achievement goals for ourselves instead of focusing on process goals. So, for example, my, uh, I just found out this past weekend that my mom had an achievement goal. Her goal was that in 2023 she would read 50 books. And, and she was lamenting because she only read, I think, 20 or 30 of these books. And she's like, oh, I, I didn't reach my goal. Now, my wife likes to say the, enemy, the perfect is the enemy of the possible. So you, know, you had a goal of reading 50 books and you only read 30. Mom, I still think that's pretty good, right? Wouldn't you agree with me? Still pretty good. However, that idea of reading 50 books is still an achievement goal, but a process goal would be more like instead of saying I want to read 50 books uh, in 2023 or 2024 to say I want to commit myself to a pattern or a habit of reading 30 minutes a day. And I guarantee you that if she had instead embraced the process goal of reading 30 minutes a day, she probably would have read, she could have read 100 books in a year. So uh, 
we too, oftentimes we focus on these achievement goals instead of the process goals. Uh, maybe we have a goal of being like Jesus. That's our goal. We want to be more Christ-like. And that's a great goal. That's a fantastic goal. Right? God wants us to be more like Jesus. But how do we get there? That's the achievement goal, but what's the process by which we get there? And what Jesus is inviting us into is a daily process by which we gradually, over time, through habits that we embody and we live out on a day-to-day basis, achieve that goal long-term, but it's through a series of small steps. And the reason I'm convinced that Jesus is inviting us not to, to make achievement goals, but process his goals, is because he uses his one word over and over, and that is the word abide. He uses the word in this section ten times. In the NIV, that same word that is used there is the, idea, is the word that is remaining. And the idea of abiding or remaining is this ongoing active pursuit of Jesus. It's the daily seeking God, the daily walking with Jesus. Uh, For many people throughout history, one of the primary ways that they've been able to to do that is by developing for themselves a rule of life, right? We all know that that life tends to get away from us, right? We become overwhelmingly busy, and so we might have good intentions of, of reading the Bible and praying, but without some sort of discipline that we have in our life, oftentimes our good, our, our, our good hopes Uh, Our aspirations never become a reality. And so uh, Christians throughout the centuries have developed what they call a rule of life. And a rule of life is simply um, a a pattern or a structure, a framework by which you can intentionally work the spiritual disciplines into your life. And so it's a way of being intentional and saying, you know, I want to have a daily time, a quiet time of seeking God and pursuing God in the quiet place. I want to be intentional about reading Scripture, right? Reading and countering God through Scripture is one of the most powerful ways that we learn about God and and learn His will for us. Um, Just this past year, I was part of a cohort of people that that read the Bible in a year, cover to cover, straight through. I just finished this morning reading through the entire Bible. And uh, I tell you, it was a tremendous feeling of satisfaction. I had the support of this group that I was doing it with. If there's those, you know, those of you here who have never done that, I would highly encourage you uh, through the, the version, the Bible app on your phone, you can sign up for a, a Read the Bible in a Year plan, and it, it tells you exactly what you need to read each day. So it would be great if perhaps some of us uh, wanted to do that together, and we could, you know, we could read through the Bible uh, in a year, you only have to read about four chapters of Scripture a day, and you'll plow through the, the whole of the, uh, the Bible in a year. Um, when it comes to this rule of life, I'm going to not spend more time on that because in our grace groups, we're actually going to have a, a chance in the coming weeks to learn more about that. And your grace group leaders, they don't know this yet, but they're actually going to help you to develop um, a rule of life for yourself so that you can have these intentional practices of seeking God uh, regularly in your life. You know, at Grace Church, we define discipleship as gather, grow, give, and go. That's a pattern. That's a rhythm. You know, that's the way that we, that we keep God close to us, that we remain connected. But my, my main thing here is that when Jesus says, abide in me or remain in me, it's not a passive thing. It's not like just sitting there, okay, I'm in the Jesus camp now, so I'm good. I don't really need to do anything else. Right? Jesus doesn't want his disciples to be worried about their salvation. He says to them in verse 2, you're already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So this is not a matter of if you're saved or not. But he says, once you've been made clean, once you've become my disciple, remain in me. But the remaining is an active, ongoing pursuit 
of Christ, right? Imagine that you go to college and, and it's your second year and freshman year was really, really hard. And so you're like, do I stay at college or do I go? And your parents are going to get on the phone. You're like, no, you've got to stay. You've got to stay. But you're like, okay, I think I'll stay. But recognizing that staying, remaining, or abiding at college means that you're going to go to class. It means that you're going to do the homework. It means that you're going to show up, that you're going to do your assignments. You're going to do a research uh, and so forth so that eventually you can grow through the program. So when, when God says, when Jesus says, abide in me, remain in me, it is active. It is the ongoing daily pursuit, right? Rear the branches, Christ is the vine, of staying connected and drawing the nutrients from the vine so that our lives can be fruitful, so that we can be the kind of people that God has made us to be. And so finally then, so we've talked about uh, we're not working on success, but we're talking about fruitfulness. We're not talking about achievement goals, right, point two, but rather process goals. Daily abiding in God's word. Daily abiding in the body of Christ, which is church, which is the community. But finally, I want to bring us to the third aspect, uh, and that is thinking about our identity. I heard a wise man say one time that if you tell a person what to do, he might do it, but you'll have to tell him over and over what he needs to do. But if you tell a person who they are and remind them over and over who they are, chances are the doing will take care of itself. We see something incredible happen in this passage. Jesus is sharing with his disciples a new way for them to think about their identity and to ground their identity in him. So take a look with me at verses 13, 14, and 15. Starts with greater love. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Friends, up until this time, the disciples have been following Jesus, and they have considered Jesus to be their master and their Lord, their teacher, their rabbi, their relationship to Jesus has been one of submission and one of service. But in this final moment that Jesus is with his disciples, he changes everything. Something incredible happens in chapter 13 where Jesus, he takes off his outer garment and he grabs a towel and like a servant, he washes his disciples' feet. And now they're celebrating the Passover together and you imagine they're all sitting at the table eating this this special meal together, and Jesus completely turns the tables on him when he looks at them, and he changes the nature of the relationship that they had with him. He says, listen, there's no greater love that a person could show than to, to give up your life for your friends, and he wants them to know that he is going to do that exact same thing for them. The very next day, he's going to give up his life so that they could have their sins. He's going to take their sins on his own shoulders so they could be forgiven of their sins, so that they could be made new in the presence of God and brought into God's family and made children of God. And so Jesus looks at them. He says, listen, right? I'm about to leave. I'm going to go. I have to die tomorrow, and then I'm going to be resurrected, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to send to my Father, but you're going to still be here. But I want you to know, you're not just my servants. You are my friends. You are my friends. That is who you are. That is their identity. The children of God, friends of Jesus, who has laid down his life in this incredible act of love. 
Some of you, I'm sure, have heard of Pete Scazzaro, and he's the developer of the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Movement. And one of the things that I love that, that Pete says, uh, he says this all the time, is he says, we're not human doings, but we're human beings. And if you've never heard that before, I'm going to say it again just so you don't forget it. We are not human doings, we're human beings. A lot of us struggle to find balance in our lives and find ourselves amidst chaos and a hectic lifestyle because we are completely defined by our doing. We're completely defined by our role, by what we do. A lot of people are burned out because they think of themselves in terms of their role, right? I'm a mother. I'm a pastor. I'm a worker. I'm an artist. But when the core of your identity, when the way that you think about yourself is completely defined by what you do, then you are only as valuable as your performance. And if you're successful, great. But you end up looking down on everybody else who's not measuring up, whose life doesn't compare to yours. But when you're not measuring up and when you feel like your performance is not good and people are not accepting you and complimenting you, then your entire sense of uh, self-esteem ends up in the gutter. A lot of us find that our lives are overwhelmingly busy, but they're underwhelmingly impactful. They're underwhelmingly uh, fruitful, even though we're doing so much stuff. And our lives are filled with way too much stuff because our identity is not grounded in Jesus. We're not grounded in who we are. And if we don't have a firm anchor for our soul, then the boat of our lives just ends up being tossed to and fro by winds and waves. Our lives are too busy because we have a tendency to say yes to too many things because we don't know who we are. And we're trying to please everybody and we're trying to impress people because we don't have a a sure foundation for our souls. And so we end up overwhelmed and exhausted and spread thin and not having fruit, not having impact in our lives. It reminds me of the Mary and Martha story, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with, right? It's in Luke chapter 10. You can look at it someday, sometime this week. I encourage you to go there. But basically, Jesus went over to the home of Mary and Martha, and Martha was busy, 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 doing all kinds of things to prepare for the people that were in her home. And she was becoming resentful and angry because she looks, and there is Martha's sister, Mary, who is just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Mary is just there in stillness, just basking in the presence of her Lord and Savior, you know, soaking in his wisdom and soaking in his teaching. And she's, she's not doing anything else. She's just doing that one thing. And Martha yells at her and yells at Jesus and says, Jesus, look at my lazy sister. She's, she's not even helping me. Like, who does she think she is making me do all the work? But Jesus respond, responds in a loving and compassionate way and says, Martha, 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 you're busy and you're overwhelmed and you're spread thin And you're anxious about many things, but don't you realize, Martha, there's only one thing is needed. Only one thing is needed. Your sister Mary, she's chosen the one thing. She's got it right, and I'm not going to deprive her of that. I know that Grace Church, Grace Church is a church that loves Jesus. And I know that there are many, many people here who recognize Jesus as Lord. You recognize him as your Savior. You recognize Jesus as your Master. But friends, I want to ask you today, is Jesus your friend? Do you know Jesus as your friend? Is that relationship important to you? Do you recognize that that he he is your Savior, he is your Lord, but he gave his life to you, not because he had to, but because he wants to be your friend. He's offering 
friendship with you. That's why, he's did what he, that's why he did what he did for us, was so that we could have that relationship with him. And what does a friend mean? It means that he's with you through thick and thin. It means that he's somebody you can rely on anytime. He's somebody that you can completely depend on. He's somebody that's going to be a partner with you in whatever it is that God is calling you to do. He's somebody that wants to empower you by his spirit. He's somebody who wants you to know who you are. That is our identity. It's being a friend of Jesus, being a child of God. He gave his life for you because he loves you, because he wants you to have that. And so as we're making resolutions and as we're thinking about our lives and about what our hope is and what our goal is for 2024, I hope, first of all, that you're not thinking about success, but I hope that God is inspiring you to think instead about the kind of person that you're becoming and looking to lead a fruitful life, a life filled with love, filled with the character of God. I hope you're not focused so much on achievement for God and what you accomplish for God, but rather that daily pursuit of God through Scripture, through church involvement. And I hope, more importantly, that 2024 is a year that you become exceedingly impactful because you're putting an anchor down for your soul. You're putting an anchor down so that when life gets crazy and the storms are blowing around, that you know who you are. And you're not spread thin. You're not trying to please everybody. You're not trying to do everything. You're not trying to define your life based on your job or your role, but rather you have a firm sense of who you are because you're grounded in Christ. And so I want to give us time uh, before we continue with the close of our service. You just take two or three uh, minutes of silence right now. And maybe you even want to grab your phone or a piece of paper and take some notes and think about 2024. If you were going to make a New Year's resolution right now that was not based on your own desire, your ego, your desire for success, but something God is putting in your heart that he wants you to pursue in 2024, I want to give you a chance now just to think about that. Maybe God will put something in your heart and that can be something that we're working together towards in 2024. So let's take a few moments of silence.